Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk this morning about the connection between praise and prayer and breakthroughs that we can experience. And I believe there's a powerful connection between breakthroughs and our practice of prayer and praise. How we pray to God and how we praise the Lord are connected to each other, and they're also connected to breakthroughs. And is there anybody here who needs a breakthrough in any area of your life? Quite a few, or in any area of the lives of people that you love and count precious? Well, as we're anticipating Passover, we want to have a Kadima perspective. What does Kadima mean? Forward. It's a great Hebrew word. It also means charge. We want to remember that Passover is a terrific time to recount what God has done for us as a people and what he's done for us as individuals and how he's revealed his goodness to us. In, in fact, one of the traditions around Passover is this, that you haven't really fulfilled the, the call to celebrate Passover as an individual and with your family and friends until you feel like it, you were one of those who was delivered from Egypt and out of slavery. And so it's a great time to recount what God has done for us and to take to heart the things that God has done for our people. So we're going to turn to Isaiah 43, verse 21. This was Haftorah reading during our Torah service this morning first verse in the prophetic reading of the Haftorah this week. And this reading is very powerful. And I think it helps us see the connection between prayer and praise and worship and breakthroughs. And it starts with a statement from God about his perspective on Am Yisrael, the people Israel. Isaiah 43, verse 21. If you've got it, in your Bible, let me know. You got it? Good. It says this, this people I have formed for myself. The Lord says, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. I wanna focus on a couple of parts. This people I have formed for myself. The word that's used in Hebrew that we translate form, can also be translated as sculpted or shaped. And it was used earlier in Genesis to describe how, how God took the earth and sculpted it and made a man and breathed spirit. That was one of the descriptions of the creation of humankind. This people I formed for myself. And there is another meaning to it that's similar. It's, it's connected to the work of a potter 
who takes clay and puts it on the potter's wheel and then shapes it as the wheel is turning and applies pressure. So anyone who belongs to the Lord can confirm this. Sometimes there's pressure. Yes? Sometimes you feel like you're moving forward in life and you've got this sense of hope and vision and then you start feeling pressure. And I want to tell you this, if you belong to the Lord, there's a kind of pressure that he applies where he's sculpting you and he's shaping you and he's creating you. Now, anyone have experience as a potter here? You do? Oh, good, because I don't. Of course, as a kid, like almost all kids in America, I made things out of clay, you know, and shaped them. And I can tell you only a parent could have loved the things that I made. And as a little Jewish kid, we had this song, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made it out of clay. And when it's dry and ready, then dreidel I shall play. But I never made a dreidel out of clay. It was too hard for me. But I learned something from those who are potters, that the clay has to be worked. It has to be made ready. And then the clay is thrown onto the wheel. And then the wheel is spun. And then with the skillful application of, of pressure, sometimes with water, to help lubricate and shape and keep things smooth, the potter applies pressure to the clay as the clay is spinning. And it occurred to me, if we're the clay, and the prophet has the Lord saying, I'm the potter, you are the, the clay. So if we're the clay, and sometimes in our life, we are being shaped by the Lord like, clay on a potter's wheel, then we're spinning sometimes. And this can explain why you feel dizzy in life or disoriented. And you're saying, what's going on? I don't get it. And maybe you're dizzy and you're saying, I thought we were going somewhere. And you look around, it's like, I'm in the same place. And yet there's this pressure. What's going on is that the Lord is shaping us for his purposes. And he decides what his purposes are. And the clay doesn't really decide. Now, I know this goes against a lot of popular psychology and a lot of very popular cultural ideals. But the truth is, God creates us and forms us for himself. Because he is a God full of love who wants to love. 
Now, anyone who ever wanted to have a child or a grandchild knows what it is to have love before a person comes into being. And anyone who has ever raised children and grandchildren knows that this love has a life of its own, does it not? And you can love the person even when they're not around. You can love the person when they're absent. You can miss them when they're not in your presence. You can want to be with them, and that's how God feels about us. It's not just based on what we can do. It's based on the fact that he's full of love, and he pours out love upon us, knowing that we can, because of that, love him and love one another. What then is the greatest commandment, Yeshua said? To love the Lord your God with all that you are. And what's the second commandment that's like it, the one you didn't even ask about, that Yeshua gave an answer for? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's, it's to take love that, that God shows to us to receive it and then to act on it and show it to him and to one another. That's where real life comes from. And God needs you for that. He wants you. In the same way that, that a mother needs her child. But the child can't do anything. The newborn child cannot do anything. But the mother has love for that child. And that love shows itself. And grandparents and foster parents and those who adopt and those who raise children know it's not just biological because love can surpass biology. Isn't it true? That's why you can get married because you're marrying someone who's not of the same biology. I mean, they are human. Yes. Yeah. The same species, we'll say that. But it's not like, well, I don't have to explain it. You understand. We all understand that. So it's greater than biology, but it can connect to biology. But it's greater than, which is why the Lord says that we become his sons and his daughters. Everyone of us. And he's made us, I've, I've formed this people, meaning the, the people Israel and the, the whole nation, the families, the tribes, the mothers, the fathers, the uncles, the aunts, the brothers, the sisters, the children. I formed them creatively and applying pressure so that... I have them for myself. They're part of my family. I formed them for myself. And they shall declare my praise. That's the second part. They shall declare my praise. And let's focus on that, declare. Which can also mean to tell or to recount or to relate to others or recite or to proclaim and it can even mean to tell stories about, so that they can tell stories 
about the Lord. The Hebrew word that's translated declare is from the same root as sefer, which means book. And so in a way, God is saying, this people that I have formed for myself, they are my book to the world. Israel is called to be a book with a message, the telling of God's message to the world. So we say what God gives us to say, but we also say things about the Lord. And God's message to the world is told through the life of Israel and through God's dealings and his relationship with the Jewish people. And when we think of Israel, we can include those who are Jews by birth and those who are Jews by choice and those who weren't born Jewish but have been joined to the commonwealth of Israel, as Paul describes it, and, the, and to the Jewish people through Messiah. It's a deficiency in the Jewish people when, when we think of God's concern being only for us. It's not the case. It's not enough that we limit ourselves to that because God also loves the peoples of the world, the nations of the world, and wants us to learn to love them too. But what about the anti-Semites? Well, you have to learn to love some of them too. Yeshua said, love your, love your friends only. Love the people that think just like you and talk just like you and are same height and weight, skin color. No. Nah. The Lord has called us to have love that's beyond that. He called Abraham in this way. He said, I'll make you the father of many goyim. Yeah, that's in the Hebrew. So when we think of Israel, we can include greater Israel in this fashion. And I can tell you this, if you love Messiah and you're called to live a life of devotion to him, then your life is a message to other people about God. And your stories about God's good work in your life have power and they are important. And you can tell stories that include the good, the bad, and the ugly. How many know that there were times when Moses had a hard time? Anybody know that? How do you know that? It's, it's in the Bible. How many know that Abraham had a hard time? How about Sarah? Did she have a hard time? Oh, yeah. How about Isaac? How would you like to be Isaac going up the mountain? Dad, what is going on? Hard times some, sometimes. Why do we know these stories? It's because... God treats us like mishpocha, and the scriptures are written as if they are a book for the family. And they'll only make sense to people who fully join into the family of God. They can be read and partly understood by anyone, but they'll only make real sense when, when you become part of the family of God and read it from that perspective. Last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. Not the last chapter, just the last book. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, sheds some light on the 
powerful nature of our stories. And I want to translate things out of the religious terminology that you may be familiar with and dull to. Because sometimes when we use religious jargon, it sort of loses its power. It becomes too familiar. Revelation 12.11 talks about the words of our testimony. This verse describes how the adversary is defeated by the disciples of Yeshua. Revelation 12 verse 11 says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So our faith in God is, is powerful when we recognize what the sacrifice of Yeshua has accomplished, what the blood of the Lamb means to us. And uh, I, I was participating in a discussion, an online discussion with a number of Messianic rabbis who were trying to wrestle with the, uh, the, the Christian religious terminology of being washed in the blood and pleading the blood and a lot of different things and trying to... Uh, like filter that into a Jewish framework because the blood is powerful. There's life in the blood, yes? And this is one of the reasons we're told not to consume the blood of animals is because there's life in the blood. And it's one of the reasons why we're told to drink, and this was a hard word to, and easily misunderstood. Yeshua said, drink my blood which was not about Dracula. It was about the cup. Because blood, blood of grapes, is a poetic way of saying the, the juice that comes from grapes. And Yeshua lifted up that cup at Passover and said, this is my blood in the new covenant. And, and you know, his disciples did not like it when he initially had said, Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have nothing of me. And when he said that, they huddled together, they gathered together, they had a number of meetings in order to bring correction to Yeshua. And they had some spokesmen who came forward and said, it's not a good idea to talk like this. And Yeshua said, you want to go, you can. They looked at each other like, well, where would we go? Where would we go? Because they thought about it. But they, they couldn't leave him. And I imagine when he lifted up that cup at Passover and said, this is my blood, there was some sense of relief on one hand and some sense of Internal protest, can we say it that way? Well, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you say it like that earlier? A lot more people would have stayed if you said it that way. But Yeshua knew what he was doing. 
And when we recognize what the blood of the lamb means to us, that there is a Passover sacrifice and a Passover redemption, and that Yeshua has become the Passover lamb that redeems us. And he's also become the the Yom Kippur lamb who redeems us. And so he redeems us in different ways and different dimensions and different aspects so that we can experience the fullness of redemption and the fullness of salvation. And that's why sometimes in the scriptures it says those who are being saved. Being saved. And other times it says those who will be saved. And at other times it says those who have been saved. And you might say to yourself, well, what's the theological truth? And the answer is God who was and is and is to come and forever will be apply salvation to us in every dimension of time. And so we can experience it to the fullest when we embrace all of that. How many have had this experience? I don't think it's rare. Where when you became a believer, God reworked some things in your past that had been trouble, had been difficult, had even been sinful, but he got his hands on that, and he rebuilt you. And he reframed you so that you no longer saw yourself as a powerless victim, but you saw yourself as someone who is being formed and prepared to become a disciple of the Lord. He got a hold of your past. The blood of the Lamb works that way. And when it's combined with our own stories of God's goodness, that means the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony at Pesach. Why do you do this? Well, we should say, because the Lord delivered me. Because the Lord did this for me. Because the Lord did this for us. Because the Lord did this long ago for our people. Because the Lord is doing this in these days. We have to have our own stories of God's goodness. And when our love of God is even greater than the love of our own lives, all of this is powerful. It not only helps us resist the enemy, it helps us defeat him. And that's not my personal opinion. That's what Revelation 12, verse 11 is saying. They overcame him the adversary, in this way, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So not only do we find strength and power in the Lord, we express it. It's one thing to have your power on the inside. It's another thing to have it working in your life so that you can defeat the enemy. And doesn't the scripture teach, resist the enemy and he will flee, flee. A lot of people don't take that to heart and they think, just keep duking it out. And after a while, you might feel like he landed too many good ones. 
I remember we were doing outreaches in the former Soviet Union in, in Russia, in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, and there were bomb threats that turned out to be connected to um, anti-Semitic terrorism groups. The whole story is fascinating, but it interrupted everything we were trying to do. It created uh, some great difficulty. And I remember afterwards, I said to someone who, who wasn't there, the enemy tried to kick us in the teeth and stop us. And the person said, well, how did it end up? And I said, well, <laughs> he didn't stop us. <laughs> but we got kicked in the teeth, if you know what I mean. It, it was hard. It was very hard. But we find strength in the Lord. And he renews our strength. He renews us. And so you can run out of strength and the Lord will strengthen his people. Adonai oz The Lord will strengthen his people. Now, the Jewish people and all those joined to Israel through faith and faithfulness have been formed for God, meaning for his purposes and for his plans and for his loving actions. So one of the questions we can ask the Lord about his purposes and plans is this. How do you want to use my life? Lord, how do you want, what do you want to spend my life on? And I can tell you this is a very different question, and it produces very different answers than what do I want to spend my life on? I don't know about you, but I had some plans for my life. And I think the Lord smiled at some of them and said, good, good, we'll see. And some of those plans have not been carried out, and some of those plans have not only been shelved, they have been terminated. Does anybody have that experience? Am I the only one who had some ideas about what they wanted to be? I did When we say, Lord, what do you want to spend my, what do you, what do you want to spend my life on? We're offering ourselves to him and saying, I belong to you, including my life's goals and purposes. And we put God at the center of our lives and he becomes the point of focus. Now in Isaiah 43, verse 22, the second verse, it moves into a critique, or you could say an analysis, and it says, Karatavalo oti, but you didn't call to me. You see, I, I formed you for myself, and I've, I wanted you to declare and embody and be the message of my praises, but you didn't call to me. Which, which could be translated, I think, essentially like this. You didn't talk to me or pray out loud to me. You didn't call to me with your voice. You didn't call out to me. And then it explains why, because it uses the word key, which means because. 
key, you got to be, because you were tired. And you were just gasping and sighing or out of breath. Have, have you ever been in that condition where the only way you can express yourself is like this? <sighs> the Lord's saying, you got to that condition and instead of calling out to me, you just kept gasping and sighing. It affected your worship and your life of sacrifice and your life of service. And then the Lord says, that's what happened. You ran out of strength when you needed me. And then he says something. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. I will remember your sins no more. And so he brings us back to something that we need forgiveness from the Lord. And sometimes we have to forgive ourselves. And sometimes we have to, this may sound strange to you, we have to forgive him for being Lord over our lives and stop holding a grudge against the Lord and stop saying, but... So we need forgiveness, and we need, we need him because we sin. Sometimes we sin unintentionally. Sometimes we sin because of ignorance or neglect, and even occasionally we sin intentionally, and we need forgiveness. The Torah portion addresses that, all those needs because of all the different ways that we can sin. And so we have to come to terms with our own failures, our own sins. And one of the ways that we can come to grips, if you will, about our sins is we can use denial. Someone once said that love is the most powerful force. And I heard another person say, no, it isn't. Denial is. That human denial can even be stronger than facts and reality. And so we can pretend that we don't have any failures, that we don't have any sins, or we can deal with them. So how do we process our guilt? I think there are two sides. One is what you could call legal guilt, which means I did something and I'm guilty. What I did was wrong. And there's another side that you could call psychological guilt, and it's, I feel guilty. And you can distinguish between these two, but they're different aspects. And psychological guilt can include embarrassment. It can include shame. But the question is, how do we get clean? We'll never get clean by denial or by silence. We get clean, the scripture says, by confessing our sins. You know what confess means? To say it out loud to the Lord. To say it to him. If you confess your sins, if you admit them to the Lord, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So it's important not just to think about them, but to state out loud the reality. I did this. It's true. To admit our sin to the Lord and to combine that with repentance, turning away and turning to him. 
Sometimes if, if we don't embrace repentance, we're just trying to make the burden of psychological guilt a little less difficult for us. We just don't want to feel bad. Now, I'm in favor of not feeling bad. How many would prefer to feel better, not badder? Yeah, so th that's good. But when our only goal is to feel better and not to change, we're not really embracing the life of the disciple. So we need to set our hearts and our minds on something new that the Lord has and to let his best come to mind. And he says in Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance or remember me or bring me to mind or think about me. And then he says, let us reason together. Or you could say, let us judge this together. Or I like it this way. Let us govern over this matter together. Think of it this way. To allow God to help you govern your problems. To stop thinking you're on your own. And to say, I have to fix this all, my, all by myself. Now, initiative is good and a sense of responsibility and accountability is good. But there are some things you can't fix on your own. And if you feel you have to, you won't be able to. And then what will happen is you may be trapped by that reality. I can't fix it. And then think there's nothing to be done to fix it. But when you pray to the Lord with this in mind and you say, Lord, would you help me govern this? so that we can rule over my problems instead of letting my problems rule over me. When you speak to the Lord like that, and you remember it's for the sake of righteousness that he's doing all this. And I think what that means is you can line yourself up. We can line ourselves up with his righteousness and his justice and his goodness. And we can say, Lord, I want your righteousness to have the victory here. Victory over the accuser. The accuser says, you're guilty. And there is no solution for you. Some people in this room, some people watching or listening, battle with this all the time. You acknowledge your guilt, but then you think, you're so bad, there's no solution. And that's the accuser at work. The accuser says, you're guilty and there's nothing you can do about it. God says, we're guilty and there is a solution. So we don't need to try to defend ourselves before the accuser. We can use what I've talked about and call spiritual judo on him. <laughs> it goes something like this. Yes. It is true I have sinned. Yes, it is true that I am guilty. But one more thing is true. I have a sacrifice for my sin. Yeshua is my sacrifice. The life of Yeshua was poured out on the cross for me and for my sins. He's given me new life in Messiah. And it's not just I who live, but he lives in me. I may not be worthy myself, but God is worthy. He's formed me for his purposes. I belong to him. 
That's judo, folks. When the enemy is accusing you and you turn it around like this, you're using the weight and the power that he has and it undermines him. We remember what he's done for us. We remember all of his benefits. We overcome the adversary by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony and not loving our own lives even unto the death. And it's what Psalm 103 is all about, and that's where we'll close. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, all his kindnesses, all his kind deeds. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with loving devotion and compassion. And he satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Don't forget these benefits. Remember them. Recount them. Tell yourself, this is who he is and this is what he has done. Recall what he has done for you or what he's done for others or what he's done for our people. Read your Bible and, and take those stories that you read. And remember, these are the stories of your mishpacha. These are the stories of those in your family who have gone before you who walked with God and had victory. Now I want to pray right now a very simple prayer. Yeshua said, come to me, all you who are overloaded, all you who are overwhelmed, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. I want to pray right now for anyone who's here in the sanctuary or anyone who's participating on live stream or or podcast, if, if you have had this sense of being overwhelmed or overloaded or there's just too much on you, I want to pray for you right now. And you can stand up if you want that, or you can just raise your pinky or an eyebrow. The main thing is not that you tell me, it's that you tell the Lord. And you join with me as we come to the Lord and we say, thank you, Lord. You taught us when we are in this condition to come to you. And we come to you with confidence. We come to you with hope. We come to you with trust. And we can say, Lord, we are overloaded and we are overwhelmed, but you give us rest. And our eyes are focused on you. Our heart is focused on you. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for the things that you have done before and now and yet will do. And we thank you for the life you have given us and the life that you will give us. We love the life that you give us more than the life we ever had without you. We are yours and we belong to you. And we need you. And we know you love us and you need our love. And so we offer our hearts to you, Lord, even in the midst 
of challenge, we can say, we are clay. And you're the potter. Choose for us, Lord, as we choose for you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close now. And I want to encourage you to join us in person again next Saturday. If you're able to participate in the sanctuary service here, we'll have a tour service next week. We'll also be live streaming the synagogue service. Right now we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And I want to encourage those of you who participate by live stream, by Facebook or podcast or by YouTube even. Would you consider standing with us financially? You can get all the information at our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. <clears throat> and now Aaron's blessing. And I, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, because I'll tell you. We're talking amongst ourselves. It's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming apart. It's okay. Yivarecha Adonai, Vishvarecha, Yair Adonai, Panave Lecha, Vichunecha, Yisa Adonai, Panave Lecha, Vayasem Lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace in the name of the true Prince of Peace, Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone.